excited to have our guest on with us. Uh, we're recording this on late Sunday morning, bleeding into Sunday afternoon, after a thrilling win that the Knicks got at home against the Milwaukee Bucks last night. Um, and it's someone that I'm excited to bring on because me and this person have interacted on Twitter quite a bit over the last, I guess, couple of years. And he is, as I was telling him before the podcast started, someone who does not have time for bullshit. And I think on a medium where there is a lot of bullshit, the fact that uh, you have someone that just kind of gets right to the point, I appreciate it. And the person that I'm talking about is none other than Drew Steele of Posting and Toasting. Drew, uh, how the hell are you, man? Doing fine. Uh, John, do, here's the question I want to ask. Do you prefer John, Johnny, Johnny Mac, or Jonathan Macri? Uh, okay, I'll try to make this as brief as possible. Um, my... <laughs> Friends growing up would call me John, and every okay. time they would do it in the presence of my mother, she would correct them. Oh, no, my son's name is not John. It is Jonathan. Please call him by his full name, which, of course, wasn't embarrassing at all, um, oh, yeah, especially not. when she did it uh, to girls. That was just really on the money. Uh, if, Mom, if you're listening, you probably are. Thanks for that. I really do um, appreciate it. So at this point, I don't care. You could call me um you know, horse face. And it's just like, if I know you're talking to me, I'll respond. I have no pride um, whatsoever. So call me John. Yeah. John's fine. Yeah. Okay. But if I call you horse face, then I don't want your mom coming at me. I don't want her like, you know, tweet me the, or subtweeting me. She you know, I can't, I'm not. Yeah, no, she doesn't have Twitter that I'm aware of. Um, the only time that she ever got upset was when uh, a girl that I was like, kind of sort of not dating, but like uh, jokingly called me a crackhead. And then she, yeah, because I like said something, uh, oh, that's why we're really getting off topic because I had stepped, I had stepped in dog poo and uh, I was like 13 or 14 at the time. And my solution uh, to the problem, we were in the car was to take off my shoe and hold it out the window as we were driving. And the girl was in the back seat and she's like, oh, Jonathan, you're such a crackhead. And then my mom like laid into her and, um, yeah, I don't know if I saw her after that, uh, Oh man, which is unfortunate. We've gone off the rails already. Um, we have because I actually have so many questions about this whole scene. But yeah, let's let's get back. On we'll topic. S- we'll save it for another <laughs> podcast. Um, so we were talking a little bit um, beforehand about some topics that we're going to hit, and I think we're going to get to what seems to be the the issue that's on most Knicks fans' mind right now, which is the point guard situation. But before we get to that. They had, you know, I don't know how else you would describe it other than to say an amazing, improbable win against Milwaukee, the best team in the league, at least by by net rating, um, probably featuring the MVP, at least through whatever it is, 23, 24 games. Um, what are your takeaways from, from last night? You remember, what was it? It was the, um, it was the most recent Pelicans game. Yes. That was actually, and it was actually in uh, New York, the visiting family for uh, Thanksgiving. And we were all like, well, this is the Moutier game against the, uh, the Pelicans. <laughs> and 
Now, last night was the Moutier game, yeah. I would say. And it was, well, the Eagles, like the Hazonia game, even though his two points really sparked a lot of uh, internet discussions. But, yeah, it was just, my takeaway was just mainly like Emmanuel Moutier um, last night. It was just really improbable. And I was expecting, like, the fake Knicks come back. But oh, we've, eight, we've seen the fake Knicks come back before. Yeah, like, that's what I was expecting. It's like, oh, this is a fake Knicks come back. And I was like, this is going to be wonderful. My night's going to end early. It'll be a nice tank loss, all that sort of stuff. <laughs> but then they then they win in overtime. And, you you know, I know there's people who will probably get upset because they'll be like, oh, these wins early in the season are going to, you know, affect the tanking odds. But no one's really out-tanking the Cavs and the Suns right now. Exactly. Who are both, who are both complete disasters. I mean, like, complete, utter disasters. And it's there's really not much you can do. So, like, you know. The young guys played well, and that's why they won. So you can't really get mad at, like, Mitchell Robinson playing good defense, to be honest, on a couple of possessions. Yeah, I'm not um, – my two thoughts briefly on the game. One, um, if you would have told me before the season that there would ever be a time where Emmanuel Moutier is leaning into three-pointers and, like – Yeah, and drilling them. And, and like, he, I mean, he's, he was channeling Steph Curry. It was crazy. Um, that's one thing. And two, the moment that um, – I guess it was Mitchell Robinson – fouled out um i was like uh, um they was i actually because i forget was this at the end of, did mitchell robinson fell out at the end of regulation or at the right at the end of no, overtime it, overtime bombing was that's, regulation that's what it was my thought at the end of overtime was once mr robinson fouled out i said if this game goes into double overtime and Cantor is forced to defend Giannis at center we are we might set the record for most points lost by in a double overtime game Oh, yeah, easily, if that happened. And it didn't, unfortunately, at the end of that. Uh, yes, thankfully. And you know what's upset that last possession off the free throw? Like, Ennis doesn't do a good job boxing out uh, yeah. Giannis, but he stood his ground and just went straight up and forced, you know, Giannis like go like under the rim. And then he's like freaking out at the end of the game. Like, he got fouled, and it's like, Giannis, this is a terrible look for you. Like, yeah. you've been switching your pivot foot, you, you hook your elbow on almost every spin move. And you're going to sit here complaining that Ennis Cantor actually fouled you on a non-drive for an and one? Like, get out of here. Like, Ennis Cantor doesn't foul unless it's a ticky-tack foul when he doesn't want to play defense on a drive. <laughs> like, Ennis Cantor doesn't foul. Like, well, get out of here. And he's, like, freaking out over, like, the most benign non-call. And I was like, I, I didn't like that. And I'm, I'm officially off the uh, Giannis on the Knicks in two years train I, because I, of it. I don't know that I would get off that train. I think I would probably uh, – I might be driving that train in, in a year and a half depending on how the next uh, two summers go. But um, before I, we both hear from the couple of trolls that tend to get after us, Ines Cantor played a nice game last night considering his physical limitations. I thought he actually tried nicely on defense. He's been he's been trying since he got started back in the starting lineup, which yes. I find which I find ridiculous because like it's kind of funny. Why are you, like it's like he's pouting like Veruca Salt from like you know from Willy Wonka about like oh I'm not starting anymore and he like showed no <laughs> effort and then now he's starting and he's showing better effort again. Yeah. Like, get out of here! Like I'm tired of it. But he, but to be fair, he's been better. He was actually good in the uh, Detroit Pistons game. Yes. I thought he was actually really good defensively he there. Was. He was, and he did as much as you can do against the Sixers, even though that was a blowout. And no, Embiid I, is amazing, but like that this, there's only so much you can do. So like, yeah, I was actually like he's been better defensively, but he's still not like he's still not like a plus defender or anything. He's just from he upgraded from dumpster fire to not good. 
that's uh, a fair take. Um, okay, so enough about Cantor. Um, so we got we started talking about me being called a crackhead and Cantor. Let's get to the yep. actual um, <laughs> the actual podcast. The actual podcast. So I, we were kind of talking about how we want this to go, and and you, I, we we were thinking about maybe making this about the the point guards, and then we were talking about well, do you have any hot takes? And you do have a hot take, and it well, I don't know how hot it is actually, but I'll let the listeners decide. So this has to do with the point guard situation. What is your warm take? Pretty warm? I don't know. It's bordering on hot take, Drew Steele. Yeah, so basically, well, most of the people at, uh, like, the Posting and Toasting guys, um, they just call me a hater for this, and I'm fine with it because I've been on this train since the beginning of the whole run. But uh, I'm just over Trey Burke. I'm done with the whole Trey Burke experience. I'm tired of him getting point guard minutes, and I'm over it. Like, he just needs to be... Just, just done out of the rotation. I just, I, I can't deal with the Burke experience anymore. So let me. It's affecting so many different things and um, long term for the Knicks. I just want to make sure um, to to be specific. Do you think? Because I'm assuming that you think Trey Burke on a different team that wasn't focusing on development, that was focusing more on wins. If he was on such a team, do you think he would be valuable for you know whatever 15 or so minutes a night? Probably, but so much of Burke's value comes with actually scoring because he's still an he's still a net negative. Defender. So I know what you mean by that, but can you just explain it? Because yeah, yeah. So okay, so the reason why we loved Trey Burke going into last year is because he was so exponentially efficient to like you know historical proportions. And just so you get an idea, like you go on cleaning the glass, yep. Like he was in the ninetieth ninety eighth percentile in long mid-range shots, shooting 53%. And the guys who shot, like, over 53% ever during a stretch of any season were guys like, you know, Steve... Uh, not just going to say Steve Curry, because I was going to combine Steve Nash with, <laughs> with Steve Nash, Steph Curry, and, like, Dirk. I think John Stockton did it once in, like, 96 or something. Like, it, if you go through... It's not like, sustainable. Yeah, you know, like, it was never sustainable. He's crashed back down to 41%, which is currently in the 38th percentile, but that matches his most of his historical figures because before last year, like when he was in Washington, it was 45%. Before that in Utah, it was 45, 42, 39. So we're a lot closer to what he's been career-wise for mid-range. And you can't like shooting just under, you know, shooting under 45% from mid-range is a terribly efficient shot. It is. So like so if Burke isn't making those shots, he, that doesn't then that doesn't lead to his passing because his passing comes from him making shots. Yep. Like he's like he's not like naturally creating. I think he had one game where he wasn't shooting well and he had nine assists. Um, I forget. I think that was the first Celtics game. I could be wrong. No, but, I don't have but the, generally I don't, speaking, his resurgence yeah, this season has come because he's essentially said, you know what, I'm going to go back to being who I am, which is a guy who just looks to score. Okay. Well, here's the thing. He it's not really a resurgence this season. He's only had. Well, Let's you're say like I, about I, three good yes. games out of you know the twenty one he's played. You are absolutely correct. I should not like have used that word. Yeah, like he he's only had this. He had the Boston game, which he was excellent, and he won the game. And no one's going to deny that he was great. And he had thirty one points against the Magic, but that was a loss. And he didn't really do too much outside of scoring. So that's kind of the thing with Burke is he's. He's, I don't want to say he's selfish because I know he's a team player and he thinks what he's doing is good for the team. Yep. But his style of basketball doesn't work with what the Knicks are doing long term. 
Plus, they already have Alonzo Trier who fills that role for the Knicks. And he's more of the long-term upside guy compared to Burke. Yeah, so I mean, I, you know, and then playing those two together. You know, Trier's true shooting, I just wanted to say, is uh, right around 60%, which is, you know, great for anybody. It's absurd for an undrafted rookie. Yeah, exactly. And and right now, Burke's effective field goal percent, and not the true shooting, because I'm on clean the glass, is 47.9, yes, which is not, not good. Um, the thing, the direction I thought you were going to go is basically that, like, no, even if Burke is going well, um, I feel like his shots are such high degree of difficulty shots that they rarely, um, bring a, another defender over and it mm-hmm. doesn't, you know, it doesn't bend a defense. So it's like, if you're defending Trey Burke, even if he's having one of his runs, it's like, all right, you know, we'll, we'll let him have it. But, um, we're, that's a bet we're willing to make. Um, can I give you a devil's advocate position on this? I mean, you can. I'm I'm probably 95% not oh, going to agree oh. or listen, but I'll I'll glad, you know, I'll I'll hear you out. I, I'll just be like I'll be very dismissive. You, you that's fine. Humor me and just <laughs> listen, I guess. Um there so I I think it's I was about to say David Fisdale is kind of an old school coach. I, I think he's an old school coach with some some new school influence in terms of I I do think he does rely on some modicum of uh, analytics and, you know, but putting that aside, I think there's an old school part of him that finds a value in that, you know, a guy who can get the, like theoretically, again, I'm going to throw that out there. Theoretically Mm -hmm. get you a bucket um, when you need it. And then in terms of that going counter to, developing your guys because look anyone who watched last night's game and the ball movement and and everything and how wonderful the offense looked for much of that night it's not a coincidence that Trey Burke was not in that game Uh, and if you if you Mm -hmm. disagree I mean do you disagree with that oh no I don't I think Emmanuel Moody will get to him but he was moving the ball better and Trier despite being an isolation player he does move the ball though. Like he's, he's fundamentally not selfish at all. Like he still moves the ball, even though he's best in isolation Yes, and he creates out of isolation, Yes, but he's still a willing passer. Like he usually likes to make, it's it's basically for Trier is if he doesn't have an open lane, he's going to pass it. Like that's basically how he kind of operates. So like, and and that's that's fine. fine. And Burke is, is not really like Trier in that aspect. Like he's really just gunning for his shots for the most part, which I kind of understand because he's in a contract year too. So I get it. No, and and that's part of it, but I, I don't know. There's a part of me that understands where Fizz is coming from, just from a perspective of like, he clearly he's valuing staying competitive in these games, winning a few games here and there. I don't think he wants to lose Burke mentally, and it's a tough. I, here's why I have sympathy for David Fizdale. You got a guy in Trey Burke that came into the year talking about I'm going to try to make the All Star team this year, whether. You know, as absurd as you think that that statement is, this is what this guy came in here believing. To basically relegate him to, I'm going to play you once every five or so games when the offense really isn't, nothing's working and I need a spark club plug off the bench. I think he would lose him. So then the alternative is, all right, do you cut him or do you try to trade him? And then what I will agree with is, if there is one guy on the roster that they should be looking to move for, I don't care if it's a friggin' top 
45 protected second round pick. And I don't even know if they get that. It's Trey Burke. Mm-hmm. So that's where I'm at. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, they should have traded him in the offseason um, and could have gotten whatever they want. Whether stuff is available, I don't really know. Who knows? Like, we don't really, I don't really know. Um, you can probably make a case that they're playing him in order to build up his trade value. Yeah. Which, which I kind of get, but I don't think it should be at the expense of who it happens to be is at the expense of Frank Delacchino right now. And which we're going to get to, which we're going to get to. So I'm just, I'm just kind of over the whole thing. Um, I kind of get that if um, Fizz wants someone who is like kind of like that isolation get buckets guy. It is old school, but you also need to remember like who these players are. Like Cherry Burke is James Harden, so like you, you shouldn't be treating him as this you know this theoretical idea because the theory isn't happening on the court. Yeah. So like you you can't just be like oh well he played well in isolation against the Celtics in the Magic. Wonderful. He hasn't done it for the rest of the year, though, and he hasn't really done it in his career sustainably because he did flame out of the NBA. The the only other thing I'll throw in there is during, and, and we have not seen this much, but a theoretical lineup of, and I, I could, I'll look it up right now while we're talking about it, a theoretical lineup of um, Frank, Lonzo Trier, Mitchell Robinson, um, Kevin Knox, and uh, Damian Dotson. I if if uh, Trier in that situation, well, yeah, but now we have Knox kind of emerging, so I don't even know if that. What what I was gonna say is, if Trier isn't able to like kind of juice the or jumpstart the offensive possessions there, it's like where do you mm-hmm. go? But you know, if Knox kind of comes around, then maybe that's not even a valid um, a valid argument. So yeah, I mean, well, yeah. Well, there are things you can do, which the Knicks have been doing lately. It's kind of interesting. They kind of stop they only started doing this once they put Frank to the bench on their line in their lineup shakeup is they're running more high pick and rolls they and are. more of those high double screens. So you should be having telling at least Frank, Hey, you need to start running these more and calling these plays out just to get, you know, actions. Cause that's where he's best at is in the pick and roll offensively or, or get him doing those side actions where, you know, we know those are those side screens. I don't know the technical term. I'm not like Zach, you know, shout out to Zach Deluzio. He's but, the best, uh, man. But uh, I don't know those the specific names, but, you know, the, the actions where they get Dotson or Tim coming from the corner on those double screens and they're curling into the, you know, into the center of the uh, the court. Well, like you can you can get Frank on those two to get him in motion to, like, help them create. Like, they're not really doing anything. So, no, you're right. Frank. You're right. And, and this is uh, honestly, there are. 87 different angles to the Frank Nilakina discussion. And here's the one that I think if there was one singular nuanced point that they all boil down to, it's what you just said, which is that he's in the corner and nothing is going on when he's there. And my theory, and I have absolutely no evidence to back this theory up. I just want to preface what I'm about to say by that is that they are encouraging him to come out of the corner and initiate the exact types of actions that you're talking about. And there is a, thus far, there has been a hesitancy to do that. Yeah, see, that's where I disagree because that's not what they're doing on the offense at all. Mean, like how they so have, explain just, that. Yeah, so when they, so this is mainly going on lately when they've been running the Burke-Trier um, 
uh, Frank lineups. Sure. Right? So Burke brings the ball up. So he's like the lead guard in the shame of the offense. So usually the next, whoever's playing the next two guard option, like spot, is usually the guy who is in the corner running those double side screens. And then they usually have the three in the, the weak side corner. Frank's yes, been okay. playing that role, yeah. right? So he's not a part of those main actions. And then you have guys like Burke and Trier who are looking to score and are playing in isolation. They're not really going to kick out to him. So they're not really running plays or actions when Frank is at the three that actually get him involved in the offense so, much. So maybe you could explain this to me because, I'm uh, honestly, I, I don't know the answer. It feels like to me when – when I'm watching like the starting lineup, for instance, and and mm-hmm. Mario's uh, at the three, and and he's ostensibly the guy that starts out in the weak side corner, I feel like he never stays there. Or maybe not. I don't want to say never. He mm-hmm. rarely stays there, and he is moving around, trying to get involved in stuff, getting the ball. Like I, my thinking is they want Frank to be what Mario is to the starting unit. And there is a – again, there might just be still a hesitancy. And I, my theory is that they are essentially trying to beat that out of him and they were trying to do it by mm-hmm. playing him in the games. It clearly wasn't working because as we saw the last two games, he got out of the corner, what, four times during relevant play? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, again, it is – what am I missing here? Well, that's, that's actually a fair point. The one There are a few um... – criticism of Frank that we do need to account for is that he actually isn't that great of an off the ball, like cutter mover or anything like that. Like it's something he doesn't really do. And those should be easy buckets for him because he is long and he is and smart. He's smart. He should be was, able yeah, to, exactly. And like, he should be cutting more. So that's something I do agree with. Um, another thing is when he did have the ball, like earlier in the season, I think this actually coincided with when he was started wearing the shoulder tape and the reported shoulder injury that he said in the post game. Yeah. But there are times like he would bring the ball up, and he would do, he would initiate an action that eventually led him to the corner. So those things are on Frank. So that's something I agree with. Like he can't always just run a specific play when the offense is like like working. That's up to him to be like, all right, I'm just going to run a pick and roll. I'm calling it. That's it. But for these plays, when you're talking about the, for the starters' offense, Moody actually moves the ball well. Yeah. Tim Hardaway actually moves the ball well. So does like Vonley. So like those three guys do a good job moving the ball and actually committing to the offense where I don't think Trier and Burke together actually commit to the offense other than running one action and going with it no matter what, no matter what the, you know, so like it's an initial act that's an initial action. And then that's it. Like how many times have we seen Burke just call a pick and roll and pull up? Yeah, no, it have. I mean, I I don't think it happens as much as fan, like, cause I, what annoys me, and and why I guess I'm I have a tendency to at least attempt to defend Burke is it annoys me when fans are like, oh that's so useful just every possession that Burke's in the game have him pound the hell out of the rock and then pull up that's not what happens it does it happen occasionally of course it happens occasionally more than it should but I I, I don't get the sense that as you kind of alluded to earlier that Burke is a player who's like I'm just I'm not even caring about trying to move the ball I think he wants to. Um, but as you as you said, I don't know that there is that level of commitment, or maybe it's, no, it's a, a level of sophistication. I don't know what it is. I mean, it's just mainly. I don't think he's like there are times he pounds a rock. I don't think it's actually that as um, prevalent as people say. I think it's more of like he just runs one initial action. That's it. 
And that's what he's doing because he thinks that's what's best. I don't think it's more of like, oh, I'm just going to dribble and then run in isolation. He doesn't really do that. He, he runs out of pick and roll. So I think he just doesn't do anything else outside of a pick and roll other than look for his shot or look for the, the roll man. Yeah, and so I mean, this is this is completely fair. And, and just to follow up on what I said before, this the theoretical um, bench five that we're kind of get this discussion is centered around: Nilakina, Dotson, Knox, Mitchell Robinson, and Trier has played a total of three minutes this year. So, for anybody wondering, um, yeah, I, that's something they need to explore with because I think we've seen with Frank is he is best with another ball handler, and it's going to probably take him many years to actually be like that this on the guard you know on the ball dominant point guard if he ever becomes that. and and i like we, we could agree on that yeah so i think we kind of see like we didn't know that's what's best with him right now we don't know whether he's going to be a point guard or like the secondary guy but the knicks need to put him in situations where do you, he does need do you to create care for by the way do you care what whether becomes? do you care what yeah do you care what he becomes <sighs> well here's the thing i think his best ceiling is a point guard in terms of He's bringing the ball up. He's initiating actions. He's calming the offense down, and he's also defending their yes. team's best point of attack. Player, exactly right. So, I think that's his. That's Frank's highest ceiling, where he can score an efficient like fourteen to sixteen points. I'm not like too many shots, and he's rebounding better, a little better. But he's like moving the ball and generating assists and whatnot. Like I think that's Frank's ultimate ceiling as like that type of player. He can still do that as an off the ball. Like secondary ball handler. Yes, exactly. That's fine. I have issues if you're just going to reduce him right now in his second year to a 3 and D guy because he can't shoot the three. So he can't be a 3 and D floor spacer when he's not spacing the floor well. And I think that's just a waste of time, especially in a year where Porzingis is out right now. He needs to be working on stuff for creating for others because next year, if Porzingis comes back healthy and they actually sign someone, it doesn't have to be you know Kevin Durant, but if they sign like two guys that are really good and they get like a really good draft pick and this guy's going to elevate their ceiling. Like they're going to need Frank to be, be playing better and working on those sort of skills if they want to become a contender. So this is like a great time for them to figure out, is he a point guard or is he not a point guard? Instead, they're not doing that. They're not doing that. You're look, you're a hundred percent right. I, I, and again, I'm in such a minority on this. I, and I, I will give you this. They, I think they are trying to do that, and it's they're they're putting more on him to kind of, like we kind of just talked about, initiate more of that. But it goes right back to your point with it is so much tougher for him to initiate that from the three if he's sharing the floor with with Burke. So I, I, I th- we're on the same page about that. Um, I, I and also to follow up on that, also yeah. Are we sure the best way to do it is to just put it on Frank? Because how I always see it is there are times where it's his fault. So you got to put it on him. But Frank seems like a guy who's going to listen to what the coaching staff does and tells him what to do. Right? Yeah. So why isn't the coaching staff's approach then to say, Frank, we need you to do X, Y, and Z on the court? Because he will then do it. So I also think there's a lot of it is on the coaching staff for the approach of like, if you want him to be more aggressive, then say, hey – you need to run these X, Y, and Z sets to get you to the hoop and you have to attack it. Because earlier in the season, that's what Fisdale was saying. He said, because remember before, I think it was like five, six games in, Fisdale was like, oh yeah, I've challenged Frank to say he has to take at least five three-point shots. And Frank was taking yeah. five to six three-point shots. So where did that go I, after that? Like it, it's kind of stopped after no, that. No, I, I think it's I just, know. And it just slowly 
regressed. And I think it just regressed with the idea of this, like you said, this theoretical idea of what Trey Burke can be, but he's not that guy. Here, and it's just it's just silly to me. Here's the only thing. I mean, look, if it's you could play a drinking game if you're listening to Fisdale press conferences yeah. for how many times he <laughs> he he um says the word aggressive. It's every other word out of his mouth. I I can't for the life of me fathom that they are not still telling him behind the scenes you need to you need to get involved you need to do more now are they doing it by saying listen this is where you start possessions and we're going to leave it on you to to go from there and 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 you know move around from your starting place i obviously i don't know that um, yeah we don't know that you know but uh, listen your your assumption is fair um i don't think what i'm assuming is completely out of the out of the box uh yeah, so I, th- I think I, we've come to an agreement that uh, ideally, moving forward, Trey Burke is, is probably not on the team. Um, mm-hmm. Okay, uh, well, the other guy that is in a, a, has become a big part of this discussion and plays into all this is Emmanuel Moutier. What do you think of uh, of Mud? I love that nickname, by the way. See, I'm not really big on Mud. You know, because like. like- you know, the reason why I don't like Mud is because his last name is Moutier, and it's like that long. It's a, it's a long U. Well, you can't call him Moo. Like, well, no. Well, see, the nickname I uh, posting and toasting, and the folks uh, we developed behind, you know, closed doors, is we've been calling him Moody Booty. I, that's where that comes from. Did you really – did you guys start that? Yeah, that was that – was, I'm pretty sure – I don't – I want to take credit, and it's usually what the ego Twitter personality of me would say. Like, I created it. <laughs> But I actually think I did come up with Moody Booty in the posting and toasting Slack. Listen, I'm happy to give you credit for it. It's a great one. But, um, you know, if any of the guys like Schwinn or uh, Alex Wolf or anyone wants to correct me after listening to the podcast, that's fine. But I think I actually came up with that one. But yeah, we call him Moody Booty. I'm sure even if you did come up with it, they will still correct you and they will do so in insulting. Um, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. They'll, yeah, they'll, they'll say they took it and I'm, a, I'm an idiot. So that's fine. Um, okay, well, let's, let's talk about Moody Booty. Um, what are your thoughts on him? I think he's been playing really well. And I know all of it's going to go to the offense, which I think he has improved offensively in terms of his jump shot, even though I don't like that he's releasing. Like, he's kind of weird. Cause doesn't it look like he releases, like, right when he's about to fall down? Yeah. Like, right? It's like, like it's yeah. a weird jump shot, but he's been consistent with it. Well, like, it's, it's, the it's same a lot jump smoother than last year. Uh, that was yeah, so Oof. yeah, so I can't complain too much. I, I know there's probably some you know shot coaches who are like that's a terrible release, but like I mean, I feel like consistency is more important than anything, even if it looks weird. So he's been consistent with that. Um, he doesn't fall as much anymore driving to the rim. He's been really efficient around the rim compared to last year, which is basically which is mainly the big difference. He's been more decisive when he drives. And I just want to shout out, so I, I apologize, I forget where I read it, but somebody pointed out in one of the articles floating around that Fisdale, um, like the thing, he worked on obviously a lot of stuff with Moutier, but I think the thing that develop, the developmental staff focused on with him is, I guess, squaring his body up more when he gets to the point where he's ready to release on those drives at the rim. Um, yeah. and, and like you just said, it seems to be working. Yeah, and I think that's been the biggest change because before he was just wild and he was never decisive with anything around the rim. So I know a lot of people would be like, I know for last year they would say, oh, Moody provides value because he drives to the rim. And I always always say, that's great. He gets to the rim or he gets into the paint, but he does nothing with it. And that's what it was last year. Like he would get there and he would either flail around, take a terrible layup or turn the ball over. 
and it was just it would be like a completely useless waste of a drive. But now he's just decisive and like he gets in, he squares up, and he's been laying up better. He's shooting right now at the rim according to clean the glass, fifty seven percent. Yeah. Which is which is fifty eighth percentile, which isn't you know, it's above average, but just keep in mind when he was in uh, Denver in last year it was abysmal. for his forty yeah, for his forty eights, he was shooting forty nine percent at the rim. And which is terrible. So he has improved, and which is great to see. And I think that's been the a good sign on the offense. He's still shooting terribly from the perimeter, even though he was making every three point shot last night. But he competes now on defense. And for someone his size, competing on defense does wonders. Like he actually fights over picks and gets back to the back hip on pick and rolls. So And and I just wanna pick up there. So the last seven games, um uh, for the Knicks, he has a 106.4 individual uh, defensive rating. Um, and is that what is that means when he, when he's on the court, the Knicks have a yes. 106. Okay, exactly. That, I so, was, and I that's was in 175 minutes. Okay, yeah, I was wondering if you're pulling like the basketball reference individual defensive rating. I would no, be no, like, no, that's no. not. A, I was gonna say that's not a good stat to pull. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, no, it's uh, it's when the Knicks when he's on the court for the Knicks. They, uh, the last seven games, 175 minutes, 25 minutes a game, 106.4 uh, defensive rating, which, you know, you could live with that. I, uh, by the way, to our just to, to our discussion before, what do you think Trey Burke's net rating is over the last seven games when he's on the court for the Knicks? I I'm, I was actually about to pull up some numbers. I didn't get the Trey Burke yet. I'm going to say it's like 117. So his defensive rating is 116.4. His offense, his offensive rating is ninety nine point seven for a just spectacular negative sixteen point seven. That is not pretty. Um, okay, enough uh, throwing dirt on Trey Burke's yeah. grave. <laughs> I, I, you know, I feel ba- I really, I, I genuinely do feel bad because the guy could have gotten hurt last night, and that would would not have been cool. Um, yeah, it, no, absolutely not. It, but it seems luckily, like he's all right. Yeah, <laughs> um, but. but yeah, I wanted to just kind of hammer on the point for uh, Moody. Like, yes. it's been his defense that's really been the difference because I don't know. Like, he's just first. He's like six five. He's I don't know what his weight is. It says, but like I think he has a he's positive a big wingspan, boy. right? I don't think it's like Frank's wingspan. Oh yeah, no, 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 he it's a plus wingspan. He he absolutely it, has a plus wingspan. Yeah, it's like six eight or something like that. So like he has a plus wingspan. He's big. He's like like there's there's a reason why we're calling him Moody Booty. Like, you know, he's like, he's like, you know, he's like thick that he's in better shape than he was last year. And he's just competing. And like when you compete on defense, when you're that size, it does wonders. And like, that's, he's still not great defensively. So I'm not going to be like, he's a plus defender now, but I know for um, ESPN's our defensive RPM, I know people get mad at the RPMs and the adjusted yeah. plus minuses. Yeah. I like, I know people do, they actually do a good job of predicting like, you know, wins and losses for teams okay. like so they do hold some value um last i looked and i'm actually pulling it up right now so i'll double confirm it when i get there his defensive uh rpm was like negative 0.6 oh wow that's a huge improvement. so yeah so like i'm double checking right now but just so you understand like you may think like oh it's still a net negative like Emmanuel Moody was always consistently like the worst defensive rated point guard well, or just player in general. There were a couple in years, the league. Yeah, no, there were. I think I'm fairly certain his last year and the year before he was one of the bottom five players in the league by that by that metric. And we're talking about out of like 500 something guys. Yeah, exactly. So right now he is negative um, point six. So I was right for his uh, for this year and 
last year. Let's take a look, so just bear with me. So out of 81 point guards, Emmanuel Moutier was dead last in defensive RPN at negative 3.68. So it's basically go. the – so like the Knicks were, you know, individually the Knicks were on worse 3.68 points per 100 possession, in which, again, the worst point guard defensive <laughs> RPM. <laughs> it, like it, it's, it was so, not good. So him – yeah, so him improving by three points, even though he's still like a barely a negative, is – I can't even explain how almost like an outlier this is right now for him defensively. So I want to ask one specific question on his defense, and then we'll close with kind of a, a bigger picture um, thing with Emmanuel. Do you think his value – because they switch sometimes now, obviously. But they – obviously, there's also a lot of fighting through picks that they, they try to do, which I think is good. They should they should mix it up. Yeah you, yeah, you have to do that. Do you think his value goes up if they – could ever get to a and again we'll we'll get into the whether he's even going to be here next year but theoretically Emmanuel Moutier on a team that switches everything I, I kind of think his value goes even higher because he's such a big body like who's posting him up I, I get I don't think he's going to hurt you yeah I'm gonna have to look at the post defensive numbers I don't know if NBA stats has that anymore because they actually took away a lot of their they took away like their play type data yes from the website which which really annoyed me because i actually like a lot of the play type data they also haven't they haven't updated maybe this is what you're referring to they haven't updated their isolation stats for either um individuals or uh teams i think since it it's like it's been stuck on like six or seven games played that's what yeah that's what i'm talking about they just they just shut it down i don't know if there was something wrong with their yeah i don't know either it's annoying yeah it's annoying but uh, yeah so i wish i would see that um he does have value like it like because he is that big so you can switch him onto a two you can switch him onto some threes and if you don't think he's like if you're playing him frank and dotson just theoretically for example it's kind of like the same so it's kind of like the same thing with tim even though tim is a lot worse um defensive numbers right now but like tim and moody are more or less like kind of like the same <laughs> sort of defensive player sure. but like if you have someone that size being like your third worst or your third best perimeter defender you can kind of live with it like you can switch moody you can switch frank and you can just kind of throw sure and same thing with Dotson. like you can do that and i it's think james, that's valuable. it's the james harden thing like they you know if chris paul doesn't get hurt they maybe win a championship last year with harden you know being their whatever ranked defender yeah exactly so it's kind of like that and then also like james harden is you know has that he's thick he's big yeah. he's strong like he, you can't really post up james harden it's kind of like with kevin uh, not kevin lowry i'm so bad with names kyle right? lowry oh my god kyle lowry like you can't post up kyle lowry yeah like it's it's fundamentally impossible to post up kyle lowry because he's like he's he has that type of body and Mounier kind of is in that mold. I don't think I maybe mean, Mounier's never going to be the defender Kyle Lowry. So let's just kind of end that right there. But yeah, no, but I get what you're saying. Just like yeah, those are the type of guys you kind of want defensively. Sure. Is they that type of guy that you can switch? Um, so yeah, like he's going to have value. Yeah, and and Toronto, they God knows they could switch uh, anything. Um, anything, yeah. So let's end with this. Um, I was going back and forth with with. Uh, uh, Brian Giberman, who's a, a good follow, and if you're not following him, you should, because he, he throws some interesting stuff out into the, the ether. Um, but I had a back and forth with him this morning about basically, you know, the value of what the Knicks are doing with Moutier, what they're getting out of him. Um, where do you come down on that? Where where How do you feel? So this is a tough... I think it's... Um... This is one of the situations where you can't really go black and white on it because I think Moody is a really interesting more. case because 
for someone like Burke, I think it is a little more black and white because it's he he's he we don't have the Knicks don't have like his bird rights. He's you know he's just the type of player he is, the way he plays defense, all that sort of stuff. Like I don't see him being on this team for the long term. So that's why I'm kind of annoyed that like I, I he's getting the point guard minutes with uh, over Frank or whatever. But the way Emmanuel Moody is playing, he's playing really well, and he deserves a spot in the rotation for at least 24 minutes or so. And the one thing that's good long term for the Knicks is moving forward is they do have his bird rights, and he's a restricted free agent. So the Knicks could theoretically match. Um, they would need to renounce him if um, Kevin Durant. Yeah, so let me just—I'll chime yeah, in on that on that really quick. So the way the math works is, um, if even if they got rid of Dotson and took back no future money, and they like renounced everybody else, and we're talking like Dotson gone, um, you know, like every, everybody that can be gone is gone, with the exception of Timmy. Um, you. Emmanuel Moutier's cap hold is too large to be able to keep it and sign Kevin Durant to a max contract. So, yeah, just to, to clear that up. Yeah, so exactly. So what also what John's getting at is is that once you renounce him, you lose his rights. So like, yes. so there's like an issue like you renounce him so you can't get his uh, bird rights. So you'd have to sign him with pure cap space. Which the Knicks and would then be out of because uh, they because will have signed Kevin Durant. Exactly. So if that's going to happen, and there's a good indication that Kevin Durant or whoever the big name free agent is, is coming, should you actually be prioritizing Emmanuel Moutier over Frank Delacchino? Right? That's basically because Frank is here for the long term. He has two more years after that. So that becomes the question. I don't love putting it as an either or, but... Well, the reason why I'm putting it as an either or is because of the current contract situation for Emmanuel Moutier and what the Knicks are looking to do in free agency. Okay. Because, but however, if you're probably someone like me, who doesn't think Kevin Durant's coming here? <laughs> like, I don't think Kevin Durant's signing with the Knicks. I don't think the Knicks are signing Kemba Walker. I don't think the Knicks are getting a big time free agent. So because of that, you kind of have to see where this Emmanuel Moutier goes because I don't really, be- I don't really know how true what Emmanuel Moutier is doing right now is what he's going to be long-term. And so you kind of want to play it out for the year because you may need someone like him as a backup point guard yeah. moving forward because of what he's doing. So that's why I did it that way with it because you should be playing him the way he's playing. He's playing well. So that doesn't mean you should cut him out of rotation in favor of like Frank Delacchina. I think that's a little silly. You can play both of them together. You can split the point guard minutes. You can give him like 24 and 24 if you really wanted to do like a hard rotation like whatever Moutier's yeah. out Frank runs the point like you can do things with Moutier and Frank where it doesn't actually impact Frank long-term development for however they see him as you know on the ball secondary however you want to define it I uh, the, the th- and you made light of it already when when you said you don't think it's black and white I just what annoys me when people talk about Emmanuel Moody in terms of like there's a good chance he's not going to be here. Forget about whether or not he's going to be here next year. There are like the organizational benefit that they get from being the organization that took, as we just discussed, arguably the worst point guard in the league and turned him into whatever he is now. Like, which I would say is the rotation player. I wouldn't say he's like a, like he's 40th right now in RPM. Again, 
don't like for anyone like doing stuff don't reduce <laughs> players performances to just rpm you have to go more than that yes but no, i'm but, just using it as a gauge where like he's no, still the, not like a starting level point guard yet the point re- the point remains though and mm-hmm. and that's a huge organ that's a huge feather in the organization's cap aside from the fact that point guard <laughs> in case anybody forgets is kind of an important position on the floor when you're talking about the development of the other four players on it and mm-hmm. if Emmanuel Modier is rolling um and uh it you know makes the team uh well and and makes lives easier for the other players when he's out there that's a good thing and then the last part of it is, and it gets back to your Kevin Durant point. Guess what Kevin Durant's definitely not going to do? He's definitely not going to sign with the Knicks this summer if they look like an utter dumpster fire all year mm-hmm. long. <laughs> and Emmanuel Moutier is playing a large role in preventing that from happening. So it's kind of, I guess maybe from that perspective, it's kind of, I don't know if it's ironic is the word, but, um, you know, that his what he's doing could even though he would not be a part of the team, could potentially make it more attractive uh, for you know Kevin Durant to come here next year. Um, the last thing I want to say is this, because you know just to kind of put some finality on this Frank at point guard discussion, I think it is important to note that over his last five games, well, four games and five minutes and forty five seconds as the starting point guard, um, the Knicks were abysmal in those minutes it was um i want to say about 100 minutes total their offensive rating during that time was like 89 um now obviously young point guard um growing that's what this year is all about letting guys make mistakes the whole thing here's the only thing i want to say and you could respond to it and then we'll be done i don't Mm -hmm. think a that we could discount the possibility that it was starting to do more harm than good at that time. And it's something that at least needs to be considered for when he starts to get some of those minutes back. And I believe that he will. And two, it gets back to the point that I just made a minute ago. They need this year to remain competitive, not win a lot of games. Not That would actually be bad, but just to remain competitive and look like a team that whenever they step on the floor kind of has it shit together. And Frank point guard minutes were trending very, very, very far away from that. Now, it's all a balance, and it's just because there is some bad doesn't mean you discount the positives that he may be getting from it. But where do you where do you stand on that? And then we'll we'll finish up. I'm someone who doesn't care about whether a player starts or comes off the bench. I mean, the players may, and they can care about that. Ennis Cantor clearly cares whether he starts or comes off yes. the bench. But I know for me personally, I don't care. I care about... Just in terms of like, giving him the minutes, though, at point Yeah, guard. so I just care about, like, define a role for him. And just stay with that role through thick or thin. And okay. if you think for the larger team, for portion of the team, Frank starting the games out as point guard does more harm for the team's overall effect, that's fine. Have him then be the point guard off the bench. And if you want him to work on some, you know, just simple... Spacing the four, three, and D things, like allocate specific times, responsibilities, minutes, etc., to it. Actually, look like and show like you're actually doing something instead of just saying Trey Burke and Alonzo go be go play hero ball and stick Frank in the corner. I think that's the worst possible thing for him. Like the team does need to put it needs to help put Frank in a situation to succeed, and they haven't been doing that. 
And then once they start doing putting him in a position to succeed and Frank isn't capitalizing on it, then I think there's a larger problem. But you need to at least give him the response, like dedicate something to him. That's why I don't mind if it's off the bench, if it's starting, if it's, you know, he's the second guy with Alonzo Trier. But like just put him in a position to see, like just run some pick and rolls for him, run him off some screens, like do something to get him the ball to make plays, to like show some point guard skills. I don't think just sticking him in a corner does anything. But no, I'm with you. You're not wrong. Like I do agree with what you're saying. I don't think it needs to be that black and white with Frank starting as point guard, playing 30 minutes, running through thick or thin. That may actually be potentially worse given how it was coming down a little bit on those games because those were the games where he was – just dishing the ball off to like it's basically Tim. We're running that action for you on the sideline. Then I'm going into the corner. Like that can't happen. Like that's something Frank cannot do as a starting point guard. That that's what was happening in those last three games. Yep. Or so. Like that's exactly what was happening. That's on Frank. But like lately, I would say it's not on Frank. It's on the team. Let's let's see where we're at in a month or so. Um, if if we're sitting here and we're having the same discussion in, in, in two months, I would say mm-hmm. it's a problem. I, again, minority opinion. I think that they are trying kind of a tough love approach with Frank right now, in, like trying to make him, you know, <laughs> you know, force him um, through like whatever, you know, this like uh, benching. I mean, I don't know how else you say it um, to kind of realize, oh shit, I need to fucking come, excuse my French. Um, mm-hmm. come and take this thing if I want it. You know, is that going to work? Yeah, who knows? Um, do might they need to adjust? You know, we'll see. Um, you make great points though, and I, I can't disagree with anything you said. So, I guess we'll see how it plays out. Um, is mm-hmm. there all right? I guess that's. It. I mean, anything else you want to uh, say before we sign off? Anything you want to plug? Um, the, what I want to plug, I want to plug two things. Go for it. Um, you can you can find me writing, posting, toasting. I haven't been writing much. I've been in a creative slump. I don't really have too much to say outside of what I was saying on the podcast with you. <laughs> so like, it and that was like, you know, you're right. It was just more of like jumbled thoughts on like a topic. And this wouldn't have been a good article to write. Like it would have been like jumbled thoughts. So, but when I do decide to back to write, I am at posting and toasting. And the other thing I'm going to plug is 24 on Amazon. If you have Amazon prime, fantastic show. If you haven't watched it before, Jack Bauer is a superhero. So, <laughs> Um, that is, that is a great plug. I appreciate that. Um, I want to say something because I, like, when I first started interacting with you, whatever it was, it's it's definitely been over a year. Um, Mm -hmm. like, and not like Twitter followers, like, aren't that big of a deal, like, to a lot of people and whatever, but it's a big deal to me. Just I want to throw it out there. It's a big deal to me. So no. please start following me. So I, I know, and Thank I won't, you. like I, I don't I haven't <laughs> I haven't done this with any other guests that I have, and quite frankly, I I won't because I I don't think it's necessarily deserved. If you're not following Drew and you're a Knicks fan, um, like you're doing yourself a disservice. He's um, at Scooter Toots on Twitter. It's S C O O T E R T O O T S. Um, some of the stuff he says will absolutely piss you off. But if you listen to this podcast and you're like, you know what, the guy like knows what he's talking about, you're going to get the same kind of stuff on Twitter. He's a really, really, really good follow. And if he ever starts writing again, um, you should, <laughs> yeah, if do, I ever start writing again, <laughs> you should do yourself a favor and read what he writes. 
Um, Drew, you're the man. Uh, thank you so much for coming on uh, and accommodating uh, my uh, childcare schedule, which you have so graciously done today. I appreciate oh, it, man. Oh, that's not a problem, John. You're far too nice for giving me all that. The uh, the kind words. I truly do appreciate it. Even though everyone before on the podcast was just a warm up to me. <laughs> Keep that in mind, right? So like Howard Beck and Chris Herring, they got nothing guys, on you. They got they got nothing on me. They even though they're you. you know, even though they're the credentialed you know fancy writer stuff, they got nothing. It was all a warm up for just this podcast, which yes. is probably going to be your least downloaded. I, I I will, disagree. I will, oh no, it is. I guarantee it is going to be. <laughs> So let so poorly downloaded, and everyone's gonna be like, "Who is this person?" Let's let's hope not. Um, Drew, I kind of I kind of I kind of hope it is because it'd be really funny. There, well, we would have a good a good laugh over the next uh, the next beer that we share. Um, yeah, exactly. Next time you're in town. <laughs> um, so thank you, and uh, just a, a quick little plug. Um, so uh, at Nick's Film School, we just launched, uh, I guess, yesterday. Uh, Saturday, December 1st, um, uh, Patreon and don't get scared. We're not becoming a, a pay site. We would, we would not do that. Um, it's a hundred percent, um, minus whatever fee Patreon takes, which I think is like a very small thing. Um, it's all, uh, for charity. So we did our Thanksgiving drive last month. It was a great success and we appreciate everybody out there who helped out from now on. Basically we're going to be doing rotating charities every month. We're in the process of finaling where, finalizing excuse me, where the money is going to go for uh, the Christmas season, but I could promise you that it's going to go someplace good. Um, all we're asking is that if you come and, and you dig the podcast, if you dig the site, um, if you dig you know me and, me and JB's tweets, whatever, um, anybody from our team, just give a dollar. Give a dollar a month. Become a dollar a month Patreon. Um, that's really... That's all we're asking. And you could do that, obviously, by visiting nextfilmschool.com. Uh, and that's really it. And I am going to go and attempt to decorate my house with Christmas stuff. Um, Drew, do you have to do that or no? No, I live in an apartment. I there. am not decorating anything. God bless you. Um, I uh, am not so lucky. So I'm going to get to that. Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you again, Drew. And we will be back with you before you know it. Have a great uh, rest of your weekend, week, everybody, and I'll talk to you soon. Peace out.